You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Today on the show, we have co-founder of SpinChill, one of the coolest <laughs> devices ever. Have you seen this thing? I, I one have. of the coolest devices ever, and definitely one of those necessities for anybody who grabs a hot case of beer and goes to a tailgate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trevor, what's up, man? What's up, Colin? Trevor Abbott, co-founder of SpinChill. Thanks, man. I'm super psyched to have you Absolutely. Here. Thanks for inviting me. I didn't me. really say your name, did I? I just kind of went into... You said... You, did I? You, okay. you said Trevor Abbott. Okay. Well... Trevor Abbott. There you go. There you go. That's one I way to start the po- <laughs> That's one way to start the podcast. Hey, um, happy new year, everybody. Yeah, happy I'm new like, year. Dude, this is, t- 2019 is finally here. You guys, questions. Where'd 2018 go? I know, man, it went by super fast. In fact, it, it was did. funny, my wife had uh, showed me like one of those memes or something that it like shows, yeah. it was like January, March, <laughs> like it like showed the months <laughs> that like went by really fast and yep. it was it was a funny little, little meme, if you will, but, um, but yeah, 2018 went by so quick. And do you guys take time to reflect back on on the year, you know, now that you're like getting into 2019, do you like reflect back on 2018? Spend a lot of time, or you're like, nope, just fast forward next onto the next. Uh, so I, I think I used to be really bad about that uh, before. It was just like, nope, just keep keep going onto the next. It's been something more recently that I've I've spent time consciously. Uh, usually about a week, I, I set aside to like not do it all in one crunch, like sit down and write everything, but like a kind of like stream of conscious over a week and just keep, I actually keep a journal now. Uh, and that has been uh, been really instrumental. Um, it, it's weird that it, it uh, the first couple times it feels really odd and uncomfortable to do it. And you're like, I'm supposed to be like thinking about this consciously, but it's really difficult <laughs> to think about that unless you're, you train your mind to do it. Right. Uh, but then once you do it a couple times, like I found that it, it becomes a lot easier and you learn a crap ton from it. Yeah, I can't journal at all. But I blog. <laughs> I blog. There you go. Resolutions. Yeah. Maybe uh, to start journal? keeping the really? journal, yeah. Do you spend a lot of time kind of like reflecting back on the year? I'm like good what, at reflecting back well? on certain parts of what I do, but uh, probably the more important parts I need to reflect on, I'm terrible at. Yeah. Hence, yeah. hence the journal, I think is a great <laughs> idea for me personally. Do you take a lot of time like preparing, like setting goals? Do you have no. any goals set for 2019? Uh, I don't have any firm goals. It's more to kind of clear clear up kind of this hustle from the last year. I've got this kind of, you know, timelines I can choose A, B, or C, and it's becoming more clear as we uh, get there, but I'm really trying to, to take some time for myself to really uh, slow down and focus on the things I really like to do. So I'm not there yet with one goal, but... Uh, Trying to just take care of myself a little bit better than I than I have this last year in 2018. Yeah, it's hard. I, I find I struggle with like personal goals. Yeah, more, more than I do oh, yeah. with my business I can goals. You know, like I'm like oh, personally, like I don't know, uh, business. Yeah. Oh <laughs> no, know, I like, totally hear you on that. I, yeah, I totally. I spend a lot of time. You know, like I will spend time reflecting back on on this podcast. Like this is 35 episodes, and and I look at. Did you guys just started this year? Did you do any? Yeah, in 2017? we started it. May. It was just 2018, May. right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I so, couldn't think if you guys had done anything in 2017 with it, but okay, 2018, yeah, yeah. yeah so, geez, so this is this year's probably been so 35 episodes. Crazy for you. 
we, you know, just kind of like reflecting back and, and I don't, I'm, I'm a really terrible data person. Like I don't like, really isn't, I know it's, weird. I wouldn't have I mean that. like, I'll look at numbers yep. from like P&Ls, balance sheets, from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. I don't do that, but like when it comes to, to data, I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time analyzing like, for example, like how many listeners, like, I mean, if it, uh-huh. if I see it like level off or something, like I don't, I don't get all concerned, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people do. You know what I mean? And actually this hasn't, <laughs> this has definitely been very steady going up, which is, ex- that's the exciting part for, yeah. for this, is like when we look back, I'm like, dang dude, there's like a, there's a lot of people listening to this. Yeah. And well, I feel like, I feel like 2018 was like, I mean, shoot, that was the first year that you guys did it. And so it was really just like, if you think about any business or startup, it's, that was the experimentation, that was finding product market fit and you found something that worked and now it's like, okay, 20, 2019 is a ramp year and like, how do we, take this and move it to the next level, right? Yeah. Uh, that's where like, I, I think you'll start looking into the the, uh, the numbers. The more. The, or the, yeah, the data and the numbers more then and like, okay, who's who's our target audience? Who's actually listening to this thing? How can we pump it out more content that that audience wants? Because yeah, then that's when it becomes important. But I'm weird importance. that I do that more from like the feel of it, yeah. right? By, yeah. And really, I, I do that more based on the engagement. Like I can yeah. see who's I can see who's applying to be on the show and I can see, yeah. Um, uh, who's engaging with the with the content online, and yeah. like, and then who's reaching out to us on LinkedIn, and I'm like, I'm, I'm studying that, yeah, but I'm not like looking at number, yeah, data. you know, I don't know, I don't, I guess I've just always been like that, just kind of gut instinct, like yeah. just the feel that I get, and just rolling with it, but yeah. I don't it's, know, <laughs> I know, I, would, I well, I can totally, I, I totally understand that because I would say that that is much more used to be my style. It has been my style in the past, especially like when Ty and I were starting Spin Chill, really trying to ramp up. And you know, the first year was experimentation, finding product market fit, and then it was once we had that, it's like, okay, well, now how do we keep selling this thing? That like, you know, who's buying it? Where are they buying it from? Uh, uh, what are the demographics of it, right? And so we started honing it in, uh, and, and Ty is phenomenal at this. That's like, he is just so good at at, at honing in on the data and using the data to then drive decisions. I was always much more of a, a gut person, uh, so that was a, an interesting balance, but something that we, we uh, worked really well for us, but I gained such a deep appreciation for the data side of it from that, yeah. uh, and, and you can see, and so we started really just honing in on who that, our, our, you know, our, our ideal customer profile was, who that, that particular person was that was gonna buy uh, at any given point in time, and just focus on selling to that person rather than trying to sell to yeah, the entire makes, world that or makes sense. anything like that. Especially so. especially with a product that you can sell yeah. nationwide. We'll get into the origin story yeah, yeah. in a minute. But So do you have any goals set for, for 2019? I do. Uh, so uh, again, back to your point of like uh, personal versus business goals, uh, just very business-minded. Like That's yeah. always where my head goes first. Uh, but I think that that's because that, that for me, I found that, that Building businesses is a satisfying thing for me. That's like my, my uh, it, it fulfills a lot of my personal needs. Uh, and so uh, they've kind of combined and crossed over. Uh, it took me a while to realize that, but uh, people were always like, why are you working all the time, like weekends and stuff? Why are you talking about work, like doing things on the computer for work? And I was like, just doesn't feel like, like I enjoy building the company and problem solving. Uh, and so, uh, so I think uh, a lot of my business goals cross over into you know personally fulfilling goals as well. Uh, some of the business stuff just uh, so so with the new company with Admiral, uh, we're really just focused on growth right now, and so a lot of it is is honing in 
on our sales cycles, figuring out how to shorten our sales cycles uh, and just really ramp up there. So right, uh, yeah, we're gonna have to get into Admiral and yeah. and hear the whole the whole transition. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's been a wild ride and, and still is and, and we're growing crazy, but now it's like, okay, how do we juice that even more? Uh, and so that's uh, learned even more about the data side because that's all B2B, so completely different than, than the B2B space with SpinChill. Uh, but but can take a lot of the same principles from from marketing and and sales and apply them. Uh, so so most of my goals uh, are focused around that. Uh, that's just that's where my headspace is currently. Uh, uh, Twenty eighteen, I spent a lot of time on uh, uh, physical fitness and uh, health and wellness for myself, getting myself back into it. Because when I was younger, that was a big thing. Then when we were building SpinChill, uh, man, it just like, it fell off a cliff. Uh, and it was just, uh, it just wasn't anything that was in my mind. And so uh, 2018 allowed me to uh, get back into, you know, running three, time, three to five times a week, working out in the afternoons, doing half marathons, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and just really focusing on that aspect of my life. Uh, and then once I've gotten that stabilized, uh, now for 2019, uh, biggest personal goal is actually saying no more. Really? Uh, I, I'm, I've always been such a big yes, I mean, you've known me for yeah. what, eight years now? Probably about uh, six, eight years probably. Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been just a yes, yes, yes person to everything. Uh, I think that's just, uh, I, I feel you're very similar. I'm like that, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's hard for me to say no. People reach out to me, hey, will, is, you, yeah. will you do this? Will you MC this event? Will you yeah. donate this? Will you like? I've gotten I've gotten better, but it's def, I, I understand the challenge. Yeah, so I, I don't like to let people down. I don't like yeah, you know, it's just absolutely. I'm I'm the same way, and so I started thinking a lot about that and like why why is that my goal for 2019? Uh, and and it's because of those business goals. And so in order to achieve those, I have to cut something else out. Uh, and so by saying no to other things, uh, I'll probably, again, it's gonna be a work in progress. I'm not gonna say like no to everything, uh, but but you read a lot of books and, and listen to a lot of, of people that have achieved great success in, in a number of different areas. And, and that's a common thread that I've seen is that they spend more time focusing on whatever their personal goals are for business, for themselves, uh, and say no to other people by default. And so it was interesting because they've, they've set it up in a scenario to where they say no by default, and so if a person goes and asks them for something, they already know that the answer is gonna be no, so they have to work to try and get a yes from that person, right? Yeah, so, but I don't, so they're setting up a kind of a different, like they've set up that expectation. But do you feel like, I, I've, I kind of feel like the opportunity might not come if you, if you, because people will be like, oh, they're just gonna say no, so I'm not even gonna ask. Yeah, I don't know. That, I, I, it's a, it's yeah, that's an interesting. Because when, when I was a, when I was a kid, you know, when I like when I was a kid, yeah. military, you know, yep. Air Force, bounce bounce around a lot. You know, I re, I used to remember my parents, you know, telling me like, if anybody asks, yeah, always like, friends, yeah, like, like go do it. Yeah, yeah, like, help people. people. Well, well, people would be like, hey, like, do you want to do you want to come out and hang out with us? Yeah. And if I wasn't in the mood, I'd be like, and I'd be like, no, like. I just, you know, if I just wasn't in the mood to like go hang out and, or whatever with new people, yeah, then, you know, my parents always just be like, well, realize they might not ask again, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and you might not have that opportunity, you yeah. know. So, so sometimes I look at it like yeah. from that, like I don't, I don't want to say no to this speaking opportunity this time or no to this whatever it is, yeah. and then not well, have but, that but, opportunity come back around yeah. later. Well, I think the so I, I think, and that's just one example, right? The but I think the speaking opportunity, like for you. Uh, what I've gathered is that's one area that you're 
focusing on yeah. and, and, a, and uh, super passionate something about. Yeah, you're passionate about it. It fulfills a need in your life. You enjoy doing it. Uh, but then also you're you're building on that and trying to become a better speaker. So so I think that that's that's a scenario what where are you saying are you saying I'm a terrible speaker? where you would say no, not at all. <laughs> I'm saying Just you're kidding. a great speaker, but I'm saying uh, that's something that you you continue to focus on uh, and have consciously worked towards continuing to improve that, right? You can always be improving you know, in some th- area. This has helped. This podcast yeah. has helped. It's helped really being more oh, off, sure. the, off the cuff. Like it's funny if we like even going back and looking at some of the earlier episodes. I mean, how much preparation time I took into like you know because I wanted them to be so perfect. Really, and I'm like you know I wanted <laughs> to make sure that I had really good questions and and then like here I am this morning I'm be like yeah dude we're just gonna have a conversation and like I'm gonna ask questions yeah. that come to mind as we're like talking about what's happened over the last several years, you yeah. know, and that's just the way it's I think been. it just comes off more authentic. Yeah. It, well, because it, it, it is more authentic. It's just yeah, like, I mean, you, you speak what you're, you're thinking because you don't have time to prep mentally for it. So, and on the goals, on the goal mindset, like that, that would definitely be one of them doing, doing mm-hmm. more speaking stuff for me. Um, like, but Ty, like, do you even like look at, I mean, let's say like numbers, for example, on like Instagram, you know, and like engagements or like those ratios and stuff. Are you like, oh man, I want to like try to get it up to here. Like, yeah, you're I just kind of like go I with the flow, some, whatever. I always just look at all of UF stuff and, you know, compare the best of Gainesville stuff to all of UF's accounts. Hmm. So, you know, for me, that's the crossover. It's like, okay. can I can I keep advancing to those levels where they look like they're almost intertwined? And uh, some of the new opportunities I have in this year's to work with the UF Alumni Association. They've reached out with us to do some stuff with Fracture and Best of Gainesville to uh, send Fractures to big donors. Um, so That's it's cool. starting to kind of pair the way I'm, I've been trying to push it where the brands work together. Right. Um, so those are very lofty goals. Um, we're nowhere near that, but uh, I'm good at not really caring what they look like as long as they keep growing and the engagement keeps growing and people are always like, oh, like I tell everyone to follow that or whatever. So I don't take it that seriously. Um, the one as thing, far as the, the like the data, yeah. like I, I well, use it's, it's it. Still, it's still early ways. on enough right now. It's if you're still like building the audience. Once you once you have the audience like fully built out or you start hitting that point where where it levels off or plateaus, that's when like I could see you start looking at that a lot more because then it then it matters a lot more, right? And right now yeah. it's just like grow at all costs, well, to some degree, right? Well, it's um, fun to update our rate sheet. Like I do some advertising, yeah. but I've really tried to not do it. But uh, with like our current situations with all the different things. And why? And why not do it? Because I don't want people to feel like that's what it's for. See, that's um, exactly yeah. why. So, I mean, that's exactly, we've had that conversation multiple times about yeah. monetizing this podcast. Yeah. yeah. I was actually going to ask that to you guys. You guys don't at all or do? We, we don't yet, but mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's interesting. And like at first, I was like, no way. Yeah. I was like, because this is like, this is going to be my way of giving back to Gainesville and really highlighting this place and, mm-hmm. you know, and doing all of the, doing all of that. I've said it multiple times, trying to re- keep our talent out of this university, yep. top eight university here in Gainesville, making them realize, wow, there's a lot of amazing companies here that yeah. I could work for here. You know, attracting talent to Gainesville. I hope somebody outside of Gainesville hears this podcast and like, mm-hmm. man, have you ever heard of this place? Like, yeah. we should move our business there. You know, and, all, all and, of you in Silicon Valley that are paying way too much for rent and exactly. you're losing engineers every six to 12 months, we keep our engineers for three to five years and they have a much better quality of life for about a quarter of the cost of living. Yep. 
There you go. So, so exactly that. So this was like, all right, we're gonna get back to Gainesville doing the thing that we know how to do, which which is this, right? I mean, I didn't know any, I don't know shit about a podcast, yeah. <laughs> but like in terms of you know marketing, brand building, that like that kind of thing, I'm like, dude, this is this is great. Like I can absolutely highlight what makes this place so special, yeah, and get it in front of the right eyeballs, right? So. That's cool. And, that's and cool. I think, I think that's a neat I think mission. we've done that. Yeah, I think that yeah. that kind of goes the thing. It was all about seeing see, seeing an opportunity and not you know to to do what I love yeah. and, and give back, right? So so that's exactly what we did. We just yeah. were like, all right, well, let's just do it. Let's see what happens. So we executed, and now ironically, you know, never talked never talked about monetizing it, mm-hmm. and then people started reaching out, and now so now people are saying, well, say yeah. how, how much would it cost for me to sponsor an episode yeah. on the podcast and or episodes like what does that look like and I'm like ah like I really don't know I'll yeah, keep your I'll yeah. keep your you know information handy yeah, and, and get back to you um I think it, so so I listen to a lot of podcasts uh and I've 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 done been interviewed on a handful of them um and to be honest, the the advertising I don't mind, um, and and I'm very familiar with the advertising space uh, with everything that we've been doing at Admiral, and uh, uh, it's as long as it's done in a tasteful way, I think it it fits and it actually adds to it. Like a so one that I listen to a lot is uh, Jason Calacanis this week in startups, and he does a good job. Uh, he'll have like three to five uh, like like platinum sponsors or whatever, uh, but he kind of weaves it in and, and he caters to his audience. So I think that like you guys might be perfectly primed for something like that. Like, right. like be exclusive about your advertisers. Be like, look, I don't think it's really a good fit. Again, this goes back to no, the audience, course. right? You have to, because yeah. it's like the the authenticity part. Correct, is, yeah. I mean, if it's something that I wouldn't use myself, I would never put it on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like, for instance, the one that I always hear on This Week in Startups that I think is just absolutely amazing well there's a couple um and, and the way that they do it too is is he makes whoever the advertiser is also give a discount to the listeners which i think is a, an awesome one I mean, it's a really good value, way right yeah one way one it's a really a good way for the advertiser to drive engagement off of that advertisement um we learned that, that with spin chill is like anytime you can advertise with a discount it's going to do exponentially better than just an advertisement that says hey buy this thing or like you should come check this out it's like no but as soon as you add a discount in there your engagement goes absolutely through the roof uh and so uh so what he'll do is he'll he'll start out say you know thanks to my buddies at at this corporate law firm and you know his his audience is typically startup entrepreneurs and so like that law firm walker corporate law it's weird. I can remember that just from just like how many times I've heard it. That's crazy. Uh, Scott Walker at Walker Corporate Law. There you go. That's his. That's uh, their little plug. But uh, but yeah, he says that at, at every episode because uh, they're a sponsor, and it's like that's a perfect fit because these young startup companies need that person. It's like a sure. boutique law firm. Of then course. the other one will be like, uh, and, and he's like, oh, and mention that you listen to this podcast, and it'll hook you up with some free stuff. Uh, and then like the other one is like Squarespace. Squarespace gives any listener 10% off if they go to the specific well, URL and then like ZipRecruiter gives another 10% off. It's well, like, and that's, that's cool. good because I mean, when you're talking about numbers and measurement, you can, you know that it's working. Yeah, Like those, exactly. those advertisers know like, yeah. hey, like I was told to say this in order to get this discount. Like, yeah. I mean, that way that the advertiser knows, hey, like, Advertising on this podcast is actually yeah. doing something for my business. That's good, you know. Yeah. I mean? So I think you guys are are actually in a unique 
position because you can you could probably do two different types of advertisers. You could have the hyper-localized Gainesville businesses, right, that, that people that, if they're, and again, this goes back to like, are the people that are listening to the podcast here in Gainesville or are they elsewhere? If they're here in Gainesville, then like local business in Gainesville, why would they not want to advertise and offer a discount and at, to like something great like, uh, I don't know, local Chick-fil-A. Like if I got 10% off Chick-fil-A for typing in a code for, that I heard on on this podcast, like going in there and saying, whoa, uh, like I would do that all the time because I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, like, right, that makes sense. Right. It, it, it's like something that just makes a lot of sense. But then you could also do uh, digital products or services too, uh, something that that's outside of just a regionalized uh, yeah, type I, of market. And I think that's going to be the fun part is yeah. is figuring cool. it out. So, I mean, the one thing that <laughs> that I have no problem sharing is that this is expensive. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, I, it's not, I walked it's in here and saw your guys' setup, and I was like, wow, just the hardware alone is well. Not, that, that's a one time. A okay, and that's a it one is, time. Yeah. You know, like I mean. I expect this stuff to last a very long time. These mics and stuff. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, they don't flake out after a year or something. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but so I look at that as like a one time. But it's more of like the yeah. labor, the editing, the production value, oh, like yeah. all of that stuff. The the labor here with these guys, you know, just that that part can get can get expensive. So yeah. I think my one of the goals that I did set for this. You guys year, kill it by the way with the editing. I, I can appreciate a good editor, and and that's not easy. So that yeah. guy over there, kill it, man. I've watched a couple Ronald, of the episodes and I'm like, wow, props. do a good job. And then we have social media. Nice. And yep. Anthony is the one who actually helped me figure out how to even get this stuff working. <laughs> I mean, it's like, dude, it's awesome. like, uh, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. How do we turn this thing on? Uh, you know, so like, I would love nothing more than to, you know, at least, you know, one of the goals I set was the, to start breaking even on the episodes by the end of the first mm. quarter this year. So, nice. No. So that would I think be, that's a good goal. That would be a good yeah, goal. Awesome. Um, there's, uh, I would say that we're pretty far in, in debt from this right now. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but that's the thing. I wanted. I, I didn't want people to think, oh, they're just doing it for advertising yeah. dollars or whatever. And, yeah. and so, so one of the things that I that I think or the way I've been thinking about this is one, I don't want to do what every other podcast is doing. Yep. You know, I don't I don't want it to be like a scripted a scripted like pre-roll or outro or whatever. Like yeah. I don't I don't like I don't want that. It's just not my style. Yeah. Um I don't want um that was, was The ones yeah, the ones I've seen that have that like I just ooh, excuse me. Uh, I felt like were were the most impactful for me and like very tasteful was when they said like this is an advertisement, like not trying to craft it in sneakily into like the the content, but saying like, this is an advertisement, but like these guys, this is why we're able to do this podcast. So right. like, if you like the podcast and if this is something that like is helpful for you, then use it and like, but if not, then don't worry about it. And like back to the podcast. And it's just like a quick little hit a couple times throughout the episode. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about was, I mean, in terms of who, Definitely, mm. definitely, it would have to be somebody a hundred percent believe in in, t- in terms of the business. It's a business. Oh, yeah. It's a business that I use, uh, or, or definitely would use, and the, you know, like yep. that yep. kind of thing. So somebody that that way, that authenticity piece is there, right? Yep. Like it's like Absolutely. this is somebody I would use, or somebody who has already been on the podcast. Yeah. So it's like, all right, we've we're here, we're highlighting these businesses. You know, I might not necessarily use their 
you know, product every single day, but like, but mm -hmm. these people have been vetted out. They've been, there's a reason they're sitting at this table. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. So like, I think that brings a level of authenticity. It's like, it's like, hey, we believe in these companies. Um, that, and then like doing something super unique. Some of the ideas I've thought about is like, because you know, we'll go, you know, if, you know, here we're gonna start telling your story about spin chill, like mm -hmm. we'll show B-roll of like what a spin chill is, you yep. know? And so we'll like, we'll make little, these little promos that we overlay on top of the video portion yeah. of this podcast to get, to bring more context as to what the product is, services, yeah, yeah. whatever, whatever the business is that we're talking to. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, oh man, you know, one thing that would be cool is to, is to make one of those little videos for a company and then put it on our podcast Facebook page, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe even incorporating like maybe a pre-roll or something for that into the video portion yeah, yeah. of the podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I think there's a lot of fun, like cool things that you could do with it. And like, like just thinking about that, you know, something that you could add, like you don't have to have pick one revenue stream. Like you can pick a couple different ones and right. see, see what hits, right? And see what people react to the best. Um, but like with Spinchel, for instance, like I would totally be like, if you wanted to sell them and do a discount code, like pop in the discount code, everybody that comes, like get an affiliate fee, boom. Like yeah. there's a revenue stream right there. You know, it's yeah. funny, like we've actually talked about that too, like creating almost, you know, so cause a lot of the companies have like shirts and stuff yeah. Yeah. and making like putting up, having them even donate like a, a few of the items, you know, like so is it like, yeah. maybe I come to you and be like, Trevor, could you like donate five spin chills to put on our website yeah. that, when somebody buys it after seeing the episode, like that money would go to funding the pot. So like, yeah, yeah there's absolutely. like, there's a ton of ideas. What I would say, I mean, since I didn't mean to get on this topic, but, <laughs> but like while we're talking, I mean, we're talking about 2019, the year ahead. I know every, everybody's goal planning. This is one of our goals. What, definitely one of my goals is to keep this thing alive, Yeah. right? And it definitely takes money. So I would just say this, cool. right now we don't know what we're gonna do in terms of monetization, um, or if we, if we will, like maybe, maybe new scooters for less and repaint, have such epic gears that I can just self-fund it. Um, but if you are interested, I would say I would say definitely reach out to us. Um, you can email me directly at colin at repaintthewall.com and, um, and I will just, two know, L's I'll, I'll just, two L's, thank you. Um, I'll, I'll just keep that you know, in my email inbox and then when we get to it, once we figure it out, We'll we'll go from there, but should probably title it like like advertising advertiser interested, blah blah blah. Yeah, I don't even have it on the website yet. Yeah. We probably just need to put. That's what we'll do. <laughs> At some point, there will be a spot on the website for possible <laughs> sponsorships. It'll say we literally have no idea what we're gonna do yet, but if you're interested, fill out this form. Yeah. That's what we'll do. Remind me, Elias. When well, even like with uh, like Patreon or something. Now people, I yeah, do yeah. a couple like podcast things where it's I don't do them. I pay for them where it's behind a paywall, you know, that little after hustle mm -hmm. that you do with some of the podcasts, you know, maybe that's behind a really small paywall and, yeah. you know, we get 50, 100 people yeah. sign up or, for 10 bucks a month. Or even try a donation-based at first. Yeah, yeah. 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 there's a lot yeah. of things which you could I, do. Which I actually I, think I, that is yeah. set up. I actually uh, think that's set up through like Anchor or something. There's yeah. like a donation link or yeah. something yeah. that you can go down. But see, like, yeah. I have never even said that because I don't even know, like, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. like, I don't even know. And the thing is like, I just, I don't want to be begging for money. <laughs> I just want, yeah, absolutely. You know, I just but I, that's yeah, that, I, that's again. I think I think the advertisers that that both benefit the listeners, like, could be helpful and useful to the listeners, yeah. as well as like helpful to the advertisers' business. Like, that just 
that just makes a lot of sense. And like, I don't think anybody would ever get mad about well, that. If, they, if somebody got mad about that, like, it'd be like, well, I don't know what you're getting well, mad about. Well, then, and but. see, I don't know if I've if I've told you this. Yeah. I mean, Ty knows like. I had no idea how podcasts work because I'd listened to like maybe one ever okay. before recording this. And and one of those episodes was actually like, I think it was like Joe, Ro- like we were talking earlier, yeah. Joe, Ro- I think it was actually a Joe Rogan podcast that I had seen before. You know what I mean? So it like, and it's, even his style is very, you know, untraditional compared yeah. to a lot of podcasts. So it's just. It, and I think we're in one of the unique situations where advertising could actually help advance it quicker. Um, I know yeah. through Best of Gainesville, when I do a giveaway, I mean, if the giveaway is even mediocre, it it kills. If I do 20 bucks to cilantro tacos on a Wednesday farmer's market, I'll get 100 comments and I'll get more followers. They tag all their friends. Mm-hmm. So just putting in little things like that yeah. um, across the platforms, I think we'll tie the community together. We just we have to figure out how to do it <laughs> yeah. in the, in the best cool. capacity. We'll, but we'll figure it out for yeah. sure. But anyway, sure. one thing I will say is that I'm super grateful to everybody who's listening, mm-hmm. to everybody who's sharing. That's the best thing. A lot of people reach out and say, how can we help? Like, we're not ready to monetize yet. We'll figure it out. But the biggest way you can help right now is to is to share it. Just let people know about it, you know? Yeah. And Just on that us. note, I'd like to wish my grandmother, one of the big fans of the pod, Helen yeah. Rukarian. She shares all her stuff, comments, nice. she's awesome. She's awesome, dude. <laughs> she's super I'm cool. like, yes. I'm like uh, yeah, I mean, I knew she was related to you from last name, but she's yeah. like engaging with me, and I'm like, oh, grandma, you're awesome. Run, uh, <laughs> they're the best, yeah. they're the best. They <laughs> she used to run everything. the GFAA and like the Tioga Art Fair, and she knows oh, nice. everybody also, so. She's getting out Very there cool. to a community that- Where does she live? Is she... she lives over in Hale. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Helen, love you. <laughs> we should have your grandma on the podcast. <laughs> She'd be the biggest fan. She'd be awesome. Uh, that's that's cool. Well, hey, I, it's never taken like a half hour to get to the origin story part before. <laughs> but like, I mean, that's that happens sometimes. We just get on a roll and start talking about something. And, and obviously goal setting and preparing for the year ahead is, is super important. I would encourage everybody to do so. Actually, quick tip from me on that final tip before we get into origin story is one of the things that I do that has helped me a lot is I, ha- I get these giant, they're like almost like actually bigger than postcard size post-its yeah. from Amazon. Oh, they're yeah, like, yeah. Like yeah. I know what you're big. talking about. Um, I love post-its, by the way. I'm a huge post-it dude, guy. I put them on my mirror in my bathroom, and ah. they go around my mirror. So like the first thing that I see when I wake up and brush my teeth, I'm like looking mm. at my goals to start my morning. So I see the goals, and I have I have it broken down. So I have it broken down into um, like my like life goals. Like yep. so yep. one of my life goals for example is to profit a million dollars before I'm forty. Yep. And then another is to give away a million dollars before I'm fifty. And so like I have like these like just you yeah, know, yeah. five or six life goals on there. And then I have um and then I have personal goals, yep. which are usually the hardest ones for me, because and it, they're usually they're usually family based, but I have to really like like I said earlier, like really, really think about, you know, what I want to do in terms of you know providing for my family, what does that look like? Yep. Uh, obviously, love them to death and the purpose for everything, but setting goals around it sometimes can be challenging. Yeah, um, I like that. That's a good. So so I have that, cool. and then I have and then I have like the two thousand uh, two thousand nineteen business mm-hmm. goals, right? And I just have those three different post its and like sometimes more than that, <laughs> but they're around my mirror all year long. So I see them nice. in the morning. And then right before I go to bed, see them again, cool. just kind of run through them again. Yeah, that's awesome. that that way they're always fresh in my head, and I definitely would tell people to uh, 
you know, to do something like that. So that way they're always like right there in front of you. But anyway, moving on, set goals. That's the punchline of that whole 30 (laughs) minute conversation. (laughs) Trevor, dude. Yes. I've, so I remember, I remember when you guys first created this thing (laughs) and when it was like literally a drill bit, right? (laughs) Uh, Dude, just take us, take us way back. Tell us what even led to Spinchill being created and then we'll get into like where you've gone as an entrepreneur and then where that's led you to this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so summer 2013, uh, that was, that was where it all started, uh, Hacker House. So, um, so, which was which was what? So so Hacker House was this crazy. I know what it is, but yeah, crazy crazy concept uh, in downtown Gainesville in, in Duck Pond. Um, Augie Lai had had uh, done well with his uh, a couple of companies, but but Trendy Entertainment, his video game company, had personally done done well with that, uh, and so he had bought a 110 year old Victorian house in Duck Pond. Uh, had done some renovations to it. And, uh, and basically came up with this concept of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick 10 engineers, 10 entrepreneur, didn't even have to be an entrepreneur, 10 engineers that, that I think are bright and smart, put them in a house, pay for their living expenses for three months, and see what they come up with. Um, uh, pretty, These are the cool ideas that happen yeah, right here yeah, in Gainesville, Florida, people. Yeah, uh, pretty, pretty wild. And so that was the first time he had done it. And, uh, and so uh, I had been approached to help run and organize it uh, and, and set it up. Uh, and then uh, there, was, there was nine other guys uh, that were all in that summer uh, living in, we were all living in Hacker House. And so uh, we had done, uh, we had set up a, a couple different hackathons to go to. Uh, we were all, gosh, between 20 and 25 at that point probably. And uh, all, all the guys that were there and uh, so, so Augie encouraged us to just go do some hackathons and try and figure out what we can come up with. Um, you know, we had, had 10 great minds uh, uh, all from the Gainesville area. I think, I don't think everyone went to UF, but I think the majority, the vast majority of guys that were in the house went to UF. And so, uh, went or graduated from UF. Anyways, uh, we, we had gone to a hackathon. It was the first, the first one we went to up in Atlanta, Georgia. And so uh, we, we took an RV up there, drove to Atlanta, Georgia. It was Angel Hack. And uh, typically at hackathons, people do a lot of software. There's a lot of software development. You think of hackathons as like coders sitting there just like typing away, building apps or prototypes for I, I picture whatever, that scene right? in the movie, The Social, social Network. Social Network, yeah. Like in the- well, that's kind of where, right, right. So Facebook kind of coined the term and made hackathons famous. Uh, and then that movie subsequently made it even more famous. Uh, but. But uh, Ty and I, so, so Ty Parker and myself, uh, both had backgrounds in mechanical engineering. And so, uh, although Ty has taught himself programming and, and can develop uh, uh, apps and stuff, uh, we both looked at each other and we're like, no, it's like, we wanna stay away from the app side, let's go hardware. And so we're trying to figure out what, what we, we could hack together because you have like 24, 48 hours uh, to build something. And, Hardware is notorious for being very difficult to build in that period of time. Software, you can build something quick, scrub it, you know, redo it, and, and rebuild it in a couple hours. Uh, but anyway, so we had a warm case of Bud Light, uh, and because uh, at the gas station they didn't have, or no, Sam's Club. We picked it up from Sam's Club, and they didn't have it cold. The fridge was broken in the RV, so we get to Atlanta, and we got like this warm case of beer. 
So <laughs> a big problem for anybody. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, well, so everybody was brainstorming, right? So all 10 of us were like brainstorming. We went out and, and grabbed a bite to eat and, and got a couple beers at like this local craft brewery. Uh, and then they all, uh, a couple guys that wanted to do software stuff. And then there was another group that, that did a mix of software and hardware combined. Uh, they all kind of grouped up and then Ty and I were like, well, what do we like? What do we want to come up with and do? And so we're like, well, let's let's just go back to the hotel room. You know, we're kind of tired. We'll just brainstorm some ideas there. So we go back to the hotel room, and uh, had this. We grabbed the case of beer out of the uh, RV, walk back to the hotel room, get up there, and we're like, well, maybe if we drink a couple of beers, we'll come up with a good idea. Uh, but we're not going to drink them warm. So uh, grabbed a bucket of ice water, stuck them in in a bucket of ice water because that's the quickest way we knew how to. Or I thought I knew how to chill them down. I stick them in there and they're just taking forever to chill down. Like I'm talking like ice cold water, stick them in there and they're just like 15, 20 minutes, still not cold all the way through, still warm. You open it up, it like foams, it's nasty. So, uh, so Ty walks over, grabs one and starts just spinning it in the ice water by hand. Uh, I didn't really think anything about it. I just thought it was kind of weird. And, uh, and then after like a minute, minute and a half, he takes it out and starts drinking it. He goes, this is really cold. I go, there's no way that that like chilled it down. And so walk over and started doing it. And so we're both sitting there, like if you can imagine this. So we're sitting in a hotel room, brainstorming ideas. We're like coming up like, well, what about this idea? We could solve this problem or do that. Right. And, uh, and then we're sitting by this, this like ice bucket filled with ice water and taking these beers and spinning them like this by hand. Uh, then after a couple of those, that was where the light bulb was like, oh, this is, this is the idea. Like we just found the problem and we just solved the problem. So that was that was kind of the impetus of the idea. Uh, we then uh, proceeded to drive around Atlanta. Uh, th- this was the next morning. We hadn't been drinking and go around driving yeah. Atlanta. Would not <laughs> recommend that. Uh, but so we the next morning uh, got in the RV, drove around Atlanta, uh, stopped by uh, Walmart's Publixes, uh, just picking up all kinds of stuff. So. Uh, we we decided or determined that we needed something that would would spin. So we're like drill naturally, great. Got one of the Black and Decker like uh, like uh, rotator drills because uh, it was slim enough. We figured we could take the guts out of it and put that into some other container because we didn't want it to look like a drill, right? right. We wanted to at least make it presentable enough uh, and and show the functionality of it. So got that. Uh, got this little like plastic cup. Uh, it was like a baby bottle cup, uh, which is kind of weird. And when I say that, people are like you chilled beer with a baby bottle cup but anyways uh so it worked it was perfect it was perfect size so cut the bottom out of that uh shoved the guts of the drill in there uh soldered a toggle switch onto it turn it on and off uh got a couple like l brackets so that it wouldn't spin in the ice uh and then uh used uh, a lot of duct tape uh to uh, waterproof it right uh and so that was the original prototype for spin chill you still have it uh i i have it somewhere yeah. uh I, i'd have to dig it up um but yeah that was uh so that was the original prototype it still runs actually those those four double a batteries from 2013 like still work you can turn it on and it spins uh and then the top of it that that would clip onto the top of a can i only did cans at first for the first prototype was uh those like turtle friendly six-pack holders you know what i'm talking about like those newer six-pack holders that kind of clip onto the can oh, yeah, 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 yeah so we cut one of those off filled the inside with silicone so it wouldn't uh, so it would grip onto it, uh, and that was the original prototype. So uh, ended up uh, pitching it at. So we built that whole thing in like I don't know, probably two or four hours of like running around Atlanta to all these different stores. The hardest thing to find was something to hold it. We thought koozies. We were, at first we were like, oh, those foam koozies that you get 
on spring break at, at Daytona Beach or Panama City Beach. You know what I'm talking about, like the real, you see them all over the place in Florida, right. big foam koozies. They don't know what those are in, in Georgia. I don't know why, like <laughs> they're nowhere. We thought for sure we'd like go to a convenience store and see them like lined Everywhere. up, yeah, like you do nope. at like spring break and they're lined up, every, no. And we're, we're asking people, we're like driving around like, do you have any koozies? And they're like, a co- what do you mean a koozie? Like the thing that like you put a beer or drink into, it keeps it cold, it's like foam. They're like, no, we don't have any. Went to like Publix, Walmart, all these convenience stores didn't have it. So anyways, the hardest thing to, to find was something to clip onto it. And we ended up finding- uh, Those caps. Uh, yeah, those caps. And so uh, so anyway, so, so did that. Uh, we didn't really test it because we weren't sure if the whole thing was going to hold together, to be honest. We're like using epoxy to hold it together and like duct tape and stuff. And so, uh, so it came time to pitch and, uh, and did the pitch to the, the panel of judges with everybody else. And, uh, and they were like, well, does it really work? And we're like, well, yeah, of course it does. And so showed it to them, did like a demo, and it worked really, really well. We did it with uh, two cans of Dr. Pepper. So took one, stuck it down in the ice water to let it see how cold it could get in the time that the other one chilled down. Uh, And for everybody's reference, it takes about 15 or 20 minutes uh, in ice water for a regular can to chill down uh, to drinking temperature. So drinking temperature is usually between uh, 32 and 40 degrees. Uh, So depending on how warm it is to start with. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes for it to chill down in ice water, uh, and Spinchill can do that in 60 seconds. Uh, so anyways, so did that. Uh, the judges were like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is great. Uh, right, but explain the science yeah, yeah. behind it a little bit, because you know, like, I think the first thing is like, hey, like you're shaking up a can, because yeah. you're not shaking the can, Correct. because everybody knows you shake a can and it explodes everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so. We, to be honest, we actually thought that that's exactly that's what gonna was happen. gonna happen, yeah. And, and the judges even asked, they're like, well, is it gonna explode? And we're like, I don't know, open it and see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so uh, so it didn't at all. Uh, so, so that took us a little while. Uh, at first we were just like, wow, okay, that's just really cool. Like we, yeah, we stumbled on something. Uh, but then, uh, then when we came back, we, we talked to like a couple professors and stuff and we're like, why is that, right? Is there, is there science? And did some more research on it. Uh, so there's a couple things that are happening, uh, uh, but but the the basic idea of it is exactly what you said. Like you're not shaking it; you're just spinning the molecules inside. Uh, so so in order to understand it, you have to understand why uh, soda or uh, beer foams or fizzes or explodes right when you open it. Uh, so uh, so they're under pressure and they're carbonated uh, cans or bottles. Uh, can't be made perfect. That's just like uh, a known fact in like engineering and manufacturing is is there is no, uh, like even the insides of like these Yetis, like it's not a perfect, uh, uh, perfectly smooth surface on the inside. Even though to the naked eye, it looks pretty darn smooth. There's actually a lot of imperfections, like micro fractures that they call uh, in there. And so what happens is under carbonation, when you shake a can, you're taking that big bo- bubble that normally sits at the top, breaking that into a bunch of small bubbles. Those bubbles then are attaching onto those micro fractures and imperfections on the inside of the can or the bottle. So then when you open it, it's releasing that pressure out into the atmosphere. So all those bubbles are detaching from the side of the can or the bottle. That's what creates the foam or the fizz because they're all trying to escape out of the top. Uh, whereas if you spin it, you actually knock those bubbles off of those imperfections. So it's actually helping to decrease the foam or the fizz. So you're knocking them off those imperfections because the liquid is is flowing around in a circular motion mm. around the outside of the can right or well inside but like on the outside layer of, of the wall 
Uh, and so then it's just creating that one big bubble at the top. So then when you open it, you don't have all these little bubbles trying to rush out. It just equalizes pressure right then. So that was that was like the the basics behind it. Uh, and then there's some other stuff, uh, uh, some like Science, physics baby. laws and stuff. Yeah, Science. That's, that's the basics. And there's it. people trying to put things on Mars. <laughs> like this is like to me I'm like oh let's let's stay focused right yeah. here on, on the pier you know like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no I'm just kidding but uh but yeah so that's so that's that's why it doesn't foam or fizz the reason why it chills it down quicker uh is really kind of the same concept they're they're intertwined uh so you know how a convection oven works right everybody sees the graphic of like the heat rising and coming around and circulating inside that's just doing the same thing inside of the can so so if you have a can right Use uh, use this to kind of show. So you have a warm can, right? Imagine this is a can of, of uh, Dr. Pepper. Uh, you take it, it's 85 degrees, you stick it in fridge or freezer. So it has to cool from the outside walls all the way to the center. So those molecules are bumping into each other and then trying to release that heat back out. And then around the outside, uh, you kind of have a warm area that's growing as well, right? So it's trying to, to diffuse that heat. Well, when you spin it, you're both disrupting that that insulating layer on the outside. And then on the inside, you're just mixing the molecules around like a convection oven. So you're kind of using a convection current. Uh, and so by doing that, you're, you're able to increase the uh, chilling rate by like 20 to 40 times, depending on uh, what you're, you're using. So that's, that's cool, how man. it works. That's super cool. So like, so sorry, I interrupted no, with the science. Good the science aspect of it so but what what happened then you pitch you pitched this thing. yeah yeah absolutely so so pitched it it ended up taking second place at the hackathon which everybody was like well because like it worked so well and then it, everybody else was like developing these like these like software apps and, <laughs> and like, the, the judges right so we developed a physical product were you the only ones that divis- uh that the, so the, the first place team was actually one of the other teams we took up from hacker house so we took the top three places uh at hacker house which was cool so there was like it was probably 20 25 teams there uh, Hacker House from Gainesville brought three teams and we took first, the, second, third. Yeah, first, second, Dang, third. And awesome. this is like at Georgia Tech, for, Dang, where cool. there's like there's like some smart engineers and people up there. And uh, and yeah, it took first, second, and third. So that was like that was really cool too, and just a cool win for like Hacker House in Gainesville and everything. Right. Sure. And uh, but uh, so the first place prize was a combo of hardware and software, and it was um, it was this a. Uh, this cool concept, yeah, you might remember it, uh, Chime is what they had called it, but it was this idea, they were trying to build like a, a more modern day wind chime uh, concept to where it would create music and moods of, of tones, uh, so, so music tones, based on what the weather was outside. So like if it's storming and stuff, it'd be like a harder like bass and like, uh, uh, you know, different melodies that are, that make you feel like, like, yeah. thunder and lightning right sure. but not actually thunder and lightning sound so it's just an interesting idea right but it, it was it would basically the idea was that you could create music based on what the uh environment and the world outside was doing it's cool uh, so it was a neat idea yeah and and they i mean they made a ton of progress in in 24 hours too uh and they were able to to pair up both hardware and software uh, which was pretty impressive. They they like got access to like the Georgia Tech like Fab Lab and got in there in like the middle of the night because somebody knew somebody else and found co- a contact there. And they're like using the laser cutters in the Georgia Tech Fab Lab to like cut out all of their stuff for this thing. So like just the fact that they were that resourceful, the judges were like, that's super impressive. But I think that's like that's kind of the epitome of Gainesville, right? So so I think that. Uh, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but but kind of <laughs> this is a uh, this is something I've learned a lot about Gainesville. I've lived here for eight years, grew up in Newport Ritchie, 
came up here for school originally, then started Spin Chill, uh, and then just have been here since, and absolutely love it. Uh, but but that's kind of the epitome of startups in Gainesville is like we are probably one of the best communities for the hustle side of it and the the bootstrapping like we just get things done at all costs like it doesn't there is no barriers like we don't think about it in that way um but i think that's because we've we've been more resource strapped as a community from a startup perspective than some of the big tech hubs like uh atlanta or austin or new york city or chicago or san francisco right uh because they're there's there's people that i know that have had an idea and will get a million dollars handed to them to test the idea and figure out how to build it, right? Here we're like, we just gotta make it work and start selling stuff and like start making money quick. And it's just a different mindset, right? But but I think Gainesville is so good about that uh, of just like being I agree. being scrappy and getting things done at all costs. Um, so anyway, so so uh, so ended up uh, yeah. So that team took first, uh, we took second place. Uh, brought that back to Gainesville. We're like, ah, oh, cool. Like stumbled on this like neat idea. Took second place, but like. Uh, what, what's next? And so we just started refining the idea uh, and uh, and taking it around. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, again, huge mentorship community in Gainesville that has helped us and helped us tremendously. One of the biggest ones uh, at that point in time uh, in the phase of the company was uh, was Whit, David Whitney. Yeah, he's awesome. And uh, he was he, he's always preached uh, when finding product market fit, it's it's great to pitch people your idea and ask them if they like it or don't, but that never really gives you any data on it. Uh, how you really get data is when somebody whips out their wallet and hands you cash. Uh, that's that's when you know you're onto something, right? Uh, and, and that can go for any industry and any business or, or just, uh, uh, but, but in the startup world, when you're developing something that's new to the world, uh, you really need that validation uh, to, to prove that you've hit product market fit, or maybe not even product market fit, but you, you found that you've created something that people will buy and hand you money for, uh, and create a transaction. So, uh, so we brought the idea back to Gainesville. Next step, we're like, okay, let's refine the product, uh, but let's see if people will even buy this thing. Like, we, we think it's cool, right? The judges thought it was cool, but like, like do other people think it's cool, and do they think it's cool enough to, to pay for it? And so we started 3D printing uh, these prototypes, uh, in the attic of Hacker House, and uh, uh, this was so back in 2013. 3D printers weren't like as prominent then either, but but uh, Augie had had one of the early MakerBots like sitting in a, 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 a closet at the office at Trendy, and he's like, "Yeah, if you guys want to use it, like it's got some dust on it or whatever, but like, sure, have at it." Uh, which was cool because like those things back then, uh, you got to remember. So I was I was 21, Ty was 23 at the time. And so uh, uh, those maker bots back then were like six grand or something. Like they they're now like under a thousand dollars. They they exponentially you know they just grew so quick and were able to drop their prices. But but back then like it was a lot of money for one of those. And so we get, we get this three D printer. And we're just like oh my gosh this is so cool. Yeah. So we're like three D printing all kinds of stuff. But uh, but three D printing prototypes. Uh, then Ty was like well what if we invert the the actual product right we had gotten the clip to work and and figured it out but but it wasn't great it was kind of brittle and so we're like ah we can't really sell these clips uh uh and so so we inverted it and made it into a mold uh then what we would do is we'd stick a drill bit uh like a metal drill bit into the mold and then uh pour 
this this two-part rubber like an epoxy uh, around it into the mold let it mold then demold it clean it up uh, and that was like the prototypes and we called it a chill bit and uh, and then we started taking those around and seeing who would buy them in Gainesville uh, luckily there's a lot of construction going on in Gainesville during the summer times and so we're like okay who always has a drill who likes beer and who has a cooler we're like construction workers on construction sites boom so we literally those were like our first probably 30 sales was going around physically to these construction sites around Gainesville that's what we do during the day so at night we'd like build these prototypes and then we'd take those out uh, and show them off to these guys we'd take a drill a small little cooler full of ice and a case of either Dr. Pepper or beer, depending on like where we're at and what time of day it was. Yeah. And uh, we just show it off to these people and uh, they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like I want to buy one for like all my guys and my buddies and this and that. So we'd sell like five or 10 at a time and it wasn't a ton of money and, and we also didn't know what to charge. So I think we charged <laughs> everywhere from like five to $20 for one. So like <laughs> some people paid more, some people paid less, but, but that was all experimenting, figuring out like, okay, we found now that people are willing to take out their wallet and pay us for this thing that we've created. Uh, along the way, we were refining our pitch about like what is it that people are interested in in this concept. Uh, and then also we were trying to figure out the price point of like, okay, once we get beyond this and, and start making products that are like scalable, right? what do we charge for them? And so that was all experimentation of like figuring out, okay, this is like, what people are willing to pay uh if it, you know once we started pushing like the 20 dollar mark they're like yeah i don't know you know um but that was we things we wouldn't have known we could have sent out surveys and stuff yeah and we never would have found like people would have given us ridiculous answers to surveys uh, sir, i'm a like very non-believer in sending out surveys to figure out product market fit or what people are going to pay for things sure. uh i think surveys are great for customer retention and finding out things once you have customers but to get your first customers like you just got to go out there and just it's like the reactions right yeah, it just like, brute say, oh, force this is, it. yeah this is this is twenty dollars oh like correct you know and so yeah. you see that you're like okay maybe that's too high and then you adjust yeah. the next person exactly this is a fifteen dollars oh okay yeah exactly you, know, you can't like, go like, yeah you can't go to somebody and <laughs> think about it like this like if if I was to come to you and be like, "Hey, how much do you want to pay for this thing?" You're like, "Well, I'm, I don't know." Like, uh, uh, what about? Yeah, I, I, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Then different people would say different things, right? Uh, but it, but you're never really going to get to the true like value of what what people are willing to pay. So, um, anyways, but that we got there because of the great mentorship and and Wit was really instrumental in that and and pushing us to just like it was like because we were trying to figure these things out we had never like done this before and so uh so yeah so it was it was great um that was that was kind of figuring out okay now people are are interested in this concept at that point it was still uh the drill bit uh, the chill bit and so uh we we figured okay well we got to make this back into a full unit like one unit that people can carry with them or is portable uh, or they could use at their house, tailgating, boating, fishing, uh, golfing, whatever, right? Wherever you have a warm case of beer and you need to chill it down fast and you don't have a lot of ice. And so uh, so started prototyping, again, uh, single units that were all self-contained uh, and then started mixing uh, bottles and cans together. So we had developed uh, one device that could do bottles and one that could do cans. And we're like, well, for this to like really make sense and be exponentially better than what's on the market right now, it's gotta be able to do both. It's gotta be portable. It's gotta run on on like AA batteries. Uh, it's gotta be really easy to use. And so, uh, so we just started iterating on that and we probably went through, oh man, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, if you counted like little changes, probably two to 300 prototypes uh, in the first like three months, because we were able to 3D print change, 3D printing 
rapid manufacturing was able to, to help us expedite that process. Uh, and then finally, we got to the point where we said, all right, we, we've got it close enough Let's launch this on Kickstarter. Let's run a crowdfunding campaign uh, and see what happens. You know, uh, we put a lot of work into that crowdfunding campaign. Looking back, the video, uh, and this is this is how I uh, I appreciate your guys' video editing so much. Uh, it's not easy stuff, and uh, and and so uh, Az uh, Az Pineda, uh, he's up in New York now, but he helped us. Still great friends. He helped us. He did all the video work, uh, and we shot gosh hours and hours to get a short little like three minute video sure. uh, but we were just being so particular because like this we're like this is the coming out party this is like this is it this is you know we either uh, make it from here or this is like we're cutting it and moving on to the next thing for any of our entrepreneurial audience that's thinking about you know crowdfunding something yeah what should they be thinking about yeah so and it's changed dramatically from from the time we did it so we we crowdfunded in these the fall of 2013 which that was like kind of the that was prime time for crowdfunding that was you know some people were just throwing things up and seeing if it would stick uh we did a ton of research we spent over a month just like that was all we focused on was just okay like what is the what is the optimal video time what are the components of a video that you need to make it work we we went the, at it from like a very engineering scientific mindset uh and very data driven of okay what is the ideal uh time to run a campaign at that time it was 30 days anything over 30 days was had a much lower success rate uh what is the ideal day of the week to launch thursday was the ideal day of the week to launch uh ideal video time was between a minute and three minutes anything over three minutes would would significantly drop it uh this is where that data stuff helps oh yeah <laughs> where and I'm all like, this data driven you know like yeah. things like this is when you need to be right yeah uh uh looking to see like, okay, well, what is even like the price point that we put, we made it $10,000 because that could get us to production. Uh, and it also increased our likelihood of success rate because anything over 10,000, you would significantly see drops in success rates of campaigns. Um, so you the, guys set it for $10,000. We did set it for 30 10, day campaign, 30 day campaign. Okay. Yep. So, so what ended up? Uh, uh, so, so we hit the goal. Oh gosh. I don't even remember now. First, first five days. So you hit ten thousand yeah. dollars at the five days. Yeah. So yeah. that guaranteed you're getting the money. Yep. And so okay. that from there it was just like everything's bonus. Everything's bonus. Uh, and and uh, we leveraged it for for publicity and marketing. Uh, which uh, so well real quick I want I want to I want to close up the, uh, the thing that you asked because I think it's really important and and I've helped uh, gosh probably about a dozen other crowdfunding campaigns since we did Spin Chill uh, and that's the only reason I can like definitively say there is science behind it, especially nowadays. Uh, when it was like hot, it's kind of like everything. Like cryptocurrency was hot like last year, right? And uh, and now it's like everybody's lost their behinds on it and it's down 90%, like, right? The, there's Everything has those curves and, and, and so Kickstarter and crowdfunding was really, really hot in 2013. It's still a thing, it exists, but you don't hear about it nearly as much, right? It's not in the news, it's not in the media like it was. Uh, and so it's just kinda, it so goes through a hype cycle. you're not as much organic exposure exactly. as you were in 2013. Yeah. And so you, and, and because it's more competitive now, because more and more people have figured out that there is science behind this, just like any business. Any business, like businesses, science at the end of the day, like there, you need the numbers and the data to like start making informed decisions about things, looking at, at P&L sheets, looking at, you know, okay, uh, uh, you know, this is working, we're spending less money to acquire more users here than we are here, so let's cut this other channel and, and go towards that, right? So um, so there is very much a science behind it. Um, I would not, 
I would definitely say, well, first off, happy to help. That That is one thing that I'm always happy to help out with. Please reach out to myself. I know Ty's always happy to help out. Uh, there's there's a number of people in Gainesville that have done crowdfunding campaigns, and a number that we've we've helped launch successful campaigns. And uh, it, it's very much uh, there are there's a lot of science behind it. So uh, definitely do it prepared. Don't do it unprepared. Uh, that's really big. Uh, the other thing is if you're looking to crowdfund stuff, the uh, it, it's again because it's more of a competitive space now. Uh, I think it's more what I've seen is the trend is more uh, niche products. So it's. Physical products are better to crowdfund. Software, uh, unless it's very consumer-based and something that people will get a reward for directly, like free apps and stuff, really, really tough to crowdfund because like, what are people really buying into? They're not buying into the company, right? It's essentially pre-orders is, is the way you think about crowdfunding. Sure. And so for physical products, it, it kind of makes sense. So um, that's usually my, my first go-to is like talking to somebody about the product or idea or concept that they're trying to crowdfund and then see if there's something that they can like pre-sell that it just makes sense that that's the reason why people would want to crowdfund it, right? So, okay. so anyways. How much did you get raised? Uh, so we raised a little over $40,000. I forget what the, the final number was, but yeah, we, we a little over 4X'd uh, what our goal was. And that was after they took their fee? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, yep. so it was, how much of a cut does Kickstarter Oh gosh, I don't remember. Did they take, it's a, it's a remember? couple percent. Okay. A couple percentage it's points. Probably up, it's probably higher than that now. It might be up to five. I, I couldn't see them going over five. Okay. Probably probably between three and five now. I think for us, it was like maybe three percent. at the max. Yeah, maybe How three. old was Kickstarter at the time? Uh, ooh, I don't even know. Only a couple of years old. Okay. It's not, so it that, wasn't so super it was, old, yeah. Yeah, so it was super new. Yeah. All right, so what what happened after that? I yeah. Mean, I know, well, so, like, so we used was, it a lot for marketing, uh, which yeah, we didn't realize at the time, right? This was, uh, we, we, had, we had kind of built out what we thought the campaign was gonna look like and what we were gonna do built a lot of uh, relationships with, with bloggers in the uh, both beer tailgating uh, kind of uh, gadget space because we're like, okay, that seems like the market we're going towards. Uh, and so we just made friends, we reached, literally just reached out to bloggers uh, and we're like, hey, because like, bloggers will talk to you. Big, big writers for big publications typically aren't gonna respond at all because they get, they're worried about other things, right? right. Uh, and they get pitched stuff all the time. But bloggers, it's like, we're like, hey, like when we produce this thing, we'll send you one, like would you be willing to do like a cool write-up about us, about like here's our crowdfunding campaign and stuff. And so we we started reaching out about a month before we had started and built up, just built relationships. That's what it was at the end of the day. Like, And who's doing that? You and Ty both or like? Yeah, I, I spent more time doing that. Um, I spent a lot more time doing that. Ty spent one to more one, on the data. One to one, yep. emails, letters, what? Uh, emails, yeah. All right, emailing. Yep, one okay. to one emails. And then we'd hop on a video conference like, hey, here's who we are. Like, here's who you are. Love your blog, you know, what you did here. Uh, about this, would you like, here's what we're doing and would just tell them the story exactly like we just walked through. Uh, I don't think we ever had anybody say like, no, we won't help you. Everybody yeah. was like, yeah, this is like this is awesome. Cool. This is so cool, right? It is, it's unique. Yeah, you, There's nothing like it. So. Well, and it was just a story and we related to them on a personal level. And so, uh, so, so we had all that there and ready. Uh, and so when we launched it, we just like blitzed it. We're like, okay, we threw we threw a launch party actually. Uh, we threw a launch party, had donations opened up there at the launch party. Anybody that donated also got a free t-shirt. Uh, so it was just like, uh, because you wanna get momentum as quickly as possible. So again, we like looking at the numbers, we're like, this is kinda how we have had built out this plan for how the, the campaign's gonna go. We gotta get as much as quick as possible to get featured and use, you know, leverage the Kickstarter algorithm to get up to the top of, of featured on Kickstarter, because then your success rate goes through the roof. 
So, uh, so, so a couple of things we did there. Uh, one was we did a launch party and we like everybody at the launch party were like, we opened up, we had three computers and we had people manning those computers and, uh, just taking donations right there, uh, to, for the crowdfunding campaign. And so just from that alone, we had raised like 10% of our goal. So we had already hit like a thousand dollars within the first hour. Uh, and so anytime you can do that, like Kickstarter's algorithm sees that and is like, Oh, people really like this thing and so they shoot it up. It's like kinda, it's not gaming the system but it's just being intelligent about it. Um, that was one, the bloggers was a big one though. That was that was really big. I, I, looking back on it, that was probably a big turning so point. You, were you using the bloggers to help promote the campaign? Or yeah. this was that, okay. Yeah, so as it launched, within the first week, we, we sent them, we said, hey, like, send out the story about you know the Kickstarter campaign and we helped them kind of craft a message but left it up to them to, to really do it. And so they all did through their social channels, through uh, their blogs, whatever it was. And so we probably had five or six um, that, that started gaining traction from that. And then, then it was like from there, kind of the next things that snowballed and happened was, uh, was after the first week. So once we hit our goal, uh, then it was cool because then it's like everything's gravy on top. Uh, but it's you're also like how how big, how, how, how big can we grow this thing? <laughs> right. Uh, and so so the first big one I'm trying to remember. Uh, and so we were we were watching yeah, like you were saying earlier the podcast. You know you guys keep seeing like growth on it. So so Kickstarter has those analytics and you can see that. And so I, I keep like, seeing oh like gosh, it it grow up. and then it was like plateauing. And then one morning I wake up and it's, it's just spiked. like vertical. And I'm like what is going on? And and it's just like every time I refresh the page like money's flowing in. And I'm like what the heck is happening and so uh, i just did a quick google search for spin chill and uh the first one to pick it up was uh was cnet uh massive tech publication sure they were like you know they told the story these two university of florida guys engineers like but you had no idea super that, cool that problem. was happening no they didn't reach out to us or anything they, they, just, they just found the story and ran it well so they found it from the bloggers so okay. so they had run so we kind of like built this organic kind of like uh, group of bloggers that had blogged about it, and then once it hit the featured on Kickstarter uh, and had hit the goal, it was like those three things combo. Someone from CNET had found it through through a multitude of these channels and was like, "This is a really cool idea and a great story to tell." And so CNET picked it up, and then it was just like off to the race from there. So then it was like it was CNET, then it was uh, Gizmodo, then it was Gizmag out of Australia, then it was uh, Yahoo News, then it and this was this is all like, during the campaign. All during the campaign. And every time that one of those hit, like you like can just see spike, the spike, 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 spike. spike. Uh, and so it was great though because that all just like helped build more of the marketing that we could then leverage after the fact of the campaign. So so we really maximized the Kickstarter campaign. What was the maximum donation that you guys were asking for? Uh, $1,000. Okay. $1,000, yep. And uh, and that was uh, uh, throw a tailgate and party for anybody that, that did that. And otherwise it was? Um, then we had different tiers. Gosh, I can't remember. It, you can... You can actually uh, pull up the Kickstarter page still, so just Google search Kickstarter Spin Chill and you can see everything. It'll give you like a full, uh, full thing. I think we had, again, we we looked at like the success rates of how many uh, rewards you should have, and uh, it went from a dollar, I think five or ten dollars. We had the chill bits, twenty five dollars. We might have had this for the first Spin Chill. We had like a hundred that we could sell at that point price point, uh, and then it was like uh, thirty dollars a Spin Chill, and then you could do like. 
custom spin chills with custom colors and things like that for, yeah. for a little bit more. So cool. Uh, so take yeah, me. Yeah, I've got it up over here. That was pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like the tagline too. Warm beer sucks. I'll tell you what. That's that's stuck. That stuck hot. Uh, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. that was one that like we weren't really sure if it was gonna say like we we're trying to think of like a good tagline. We're like yeah. we need a good tagline, right? Yeah. This is like it feels like a product that needs a tagline, and uh, I don't. I think that was one that just kind of like came up we were just like ty and i were like brainstorming these like like warm beer stinks and then it was like oh like i don't remember all the ones that we had like soda that's warm is not good yeah but uh then i don't know somehow we when we said that one we're like i think yeah. that's it so I remember like the first it. time i talked to yeah. ty about it and yeah. i kind of did some research before i was meeting him and i saw that tagline i was like all right he's gonna be cool yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's easy yeah yeah it's you know, easy you know exactly it, yeah. what's going on so but mm -hmm. i think what's unique is like a lot of the stuff that has happened like since the campaign right because yeah. you guys ended up being on like <laughs> oh, yeah. tv shows and like like yeah walk, yeah it was walk us through some of that because yeah. you weren't you were on a reality TV show or pitch, yeah. one of those pitch shows. Which one yeah, was yeah. it? Uh, West Texas right. Investors Club. So, okay. uh, oh, dude, it was so it was so great. So we worked with Shark Tank for three years uh, and uh, and pitched with them. So a lot of people didn't know this, but yeah. Uh, so we got approached by Shark Tank uh, within our first year of business, and uh, they recruited us to come on the show. And so uh, we still had to fill out application, go through like the process and stuff. But they basically like expedited it, and we're like, okay you're like, so two weeks before the first uh, showing uh, or, or recording we were supposed to go to out in LA, uh, we're like, well, like it's two weeks out. Like, are we going or not? Like, we've got everything prepped and ready to go. And they're like, we're waiting on our executive producers. So, so the way it happens uh, is uh, it starts out with, they have about 40,000 applicants every single year. Uh, from there, they start whittling it down. So they have about three different rounds of, uh, of like interviews and pitching that you have to go through. Uh, None of which, by the way, is related to the business. It's like there you don't really look at numbers. Like they don't do any due diligence to a degree that I thought they would. What are they looking for? Uh, uh, energy and and they this, want the show. To so, be well, in. yeah. So so this kind of ruined it for me. I haven't watched Shark Tank since, by the way. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah every, like all my friends watch it and everything, and uh, I just haven't because I started learning a little bit more about the showbiz side of it, and so so they have to. The producers, their job is to drive entertainment and users to watch the show. And so if you notice every single season and every episode, they've always got the one that's like really wacky and out there and like everybody that's watching is like, that's not even a good idea, but like the person is really entertaining because they're so passionate about it. But like the executive producers put that person on there to make them the person. So sometimes they'll pick somebody that's like really an a-hole and like that's their whole job is to go on that show. They don't tell them that, but like they know, the executive producers know that that's how they're gonna act when they're on the show and like getting yelled at by Mr. Wonderful or Mark Cuban and and they're gonna be argumentative and fight back, but like that's sure. entertaining, right? Yep. And that's how they drive their ratings up and sell more advertising. Uh, and so we just never fit into the mold of, of they needed our particular skill set on the show for those those three seasons. So finally, after the third season, we were still in the, this pool of 100 that they pick out of. So they pick out of a pool of 100 each season to go and shoot on the show. And so once we got in that pool of 100, they just kept us in there and we just kept pitching to them every month. We'd have uh, with the, the, not the executive producers, but the lower, you know, the under producers uh, or the producers that were just under them. Uh, we'd pitch with them and they'd help refine our pitch and, and do things like that and uh, change the, the way that we would set up uh, how we we would set up the table or the demo or things like that, and uh, then after it was after three years of doing that, uh, we're like, well, you know, if we hit 
if we get on Shark Tank, like that's the home run. It, it's, you know, that's the golden ticket at the end of the day for a hardware gadget product. Like the exposure is just more than you could ever imagine. We right. know that from, from people that have uh, gone on there and that, that we've talked with since uh, or before. You know, we reach out to everybody and like we've always been big proponents of reaching out to people that have been there, done that uh, for mentorship. Uh, that's that's a huge theme of of both my personal life as well as uh, business life, and so uh, so we had reached out to a lot of people and they were like, yeah, it's the golden ticket, like it'll make you an overnight millionaire essentially, and so uh, so after three years of it, you know, Ty and I are very much people that are like we always want to be working on the next thing and building both ourselves as well as the business. So after three years, we got approached by this other show uh, that was on CNBC called West Texas Investors Club. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still airing or not. They, they may be, maybe not be. But it was like the, uh, I'd call it like the redneck version of Shark Tank. Yeah. <laughs> but these guys are That's super up. cool. So it was it's Matthew McConaughey's older brother, uh, Mike McConaughey. Uh, they call him Rooster on the show. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people don't know that that's Matthew McConaughey's older brother. Uh, it was also really weird filming with him because like we're sitting there in between like filming sessions and he just like starts like chatting up something and I don't remember how it came up. Somehow Matthew McConaughey come, came up and it was just funny because he's like talking to him about his little brother. He's like, oh yeah, little Matthew. Like you like never would have been anything without me. So like this guy, <laughs> yeah, this guy, Matt. So this is the story. This guy, Matt, he, uh, or Mike, uh, he, um, he had gone and made tons of money in the oil pipeline industry and then Matthew McConaughey and I was thinking too like Matthew like the Matthew McConaughey and uh, and he's like yeah Matthew never would have made it without me he's like he was pitching his first movie wanted to like go be an artist in LA or whatever was pitching his first movie couldn't get anybody to buy off on it so he's like I funded it for him uh, and like <laughs> gave him his first break and then from there it just kind of like compound but anyways um so yeah so so cnbc hey, sometimes you need that first break yeah man. cnbc west texas investors club they called us up we're like we want you on the show and so we said cool shark tank has told us this for three years like what it like can you guarantee us a spot they're like well we can't guarantee you and we said well we you know in in full disclosure we've been working with shark tank like what you know we're still with them but we'll cancel all of our agreements everything with them if you'll guarantee us a spot uh and so they said we can't guarantee you a spot but we will give you like 90 percent certainty and i said that's good enough and so we called up shark tank said hey guys like we've got this opportunity can you guys guarantee us a spot and they're like we can't guarantee you a spot I said any you know a any level of surety on it and they said you know it's all up to our executive producers i said you know what done this for three years you know it's been great learning pitching from you guys but like we've got this other opportunity we're going to go do that and so at that point we were like okay parted ways with shark tank and then went over and worked with west texas investors club and it was the best move ever uh we had so much fun so we they fly us out to west texas odessa texas odessa midland texas for two weeks paid also they like paid us a stipend while we were out there and paid for everything else too so it was kind of cool and uh so we're out there and uh they take us there's like we're doing different scenes somewhere or, or all over the place all over midland at like their ranch and stuff like that we're out to this this place that's in the middle of nowhere i mean like five mile dirt road like out in in the desert in texas there's like oil wig rigs and uh, a big windmill farm that's like it and it's called no trees texas and there's a reason why it's called no trees texas there's literally not no one trees. tree yeah, it's just like brush like desert brush so we get out there and we're like this is it's kind of strange like we're with the production crew in these minivans and driving out there and then we hear this helicopter coming so uh so butch and rooster fly in uh in their private helicopter land out there uh this is like one of their properties that they 
uh, drill for oil on. So they come out there and they're like, all right, well, we're going to film. And we're like, all right, like, what are we going to do out here in the desert? So uh, then they go and set us up by this oil rig. We're filming some stuff, interacting. And then uh, we, we hear this plane coming. So there's this biplane. So this biplane's coming and starts circling. And they're like, they're like all right, so uh, the plan is the biplane's going to drop beer and ice out of the plane uh, with a parachute. And it, I, you saw the episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, but this is like from the behind the scenes of it. So this is like, oh, it's so weird as it's going on. They do a great job with the editing of it. But uh, but as it's going on, we're like, okay, this is kind of strange. The biplane's circling. So, uh, so they're like, okay, action. And they like, people set off smoke bombs out in the field. And then you see the, the guy out of the biplane finally drop the parachutes. It was like taking them forever to, to do it. And the production crew's like, what's going on? This is so weird. Well, <laughs> the parachute for the beer doesn't open up. So <laughs> the beer explodes. I mean, it's like a bomb. Like it comes down and just like, and it's like, <laughs> there's beer all over the place. And they're like, well, Oops. we're going to have to like substitute out another case. So they like ran and grabbed another case. And they're like, here, like make that work. And so uh, for like, you know, video purposes, and uh, and then the other one that was that had the ice, the it was windy out that day, and whoever was throwing them out of the biplane, I guess, just wasn't at great at aiming, ends up hitting a power line and getting tangled up in a power line, and there's like sparks like flying oh out in the desert, and so the production crew's like freaking out and stuff. Uh, anyways, they end up like had to cut that one down and stuff and get the ice from there, and so we did it. We we go uh, uh, rummaging through the uh, the. Texas desert in like these uh, utility off-road vehicles that these guys had. Well, one was like an Austrian military vehicle and the other was like a UTV and uh, do it, bring it back, chill the beers down and do the whole thing and, uh, and stuff. But anyways, yeah, so that was, it was, it's, it was cool. You know, a lot of people don't know the, uh, like behind the scenes of that. Yeah. Yeah, So that was cool. Um, So that was, yeah, that was the show. Uh, It's been on the Today Show uh, three times as like the best gifts to get guys for the holiday season. Uh, One thing that was so, we we had some cool ones that were really random. Uh, It was a question on Jeopardy, which was, which was wild. Dude, that's cool. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. I get a- Did you, did you, but you don't even know. No, 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 they didn't even reach out to us. Taking pictures and texting them to be like, dude, you were the question on Jeopardy. Yeah, well, this was like, this was now like when Snapchat was like becoming really popular, right? So it's kind of funny looking back on it. Like you see these different pieces of technology that we use, I get a Snapchat of like, dude, spin chill on Jeopardy. And I was like, what? Like, how did they not like even ask us or reach out to us or anything but they didn't yeah. and they didn't they didn't use so what they what it was was a it wasn't uh what is spinter like that wasn't the question uh but the question was uh this device is used and it was one of the video ones which was that was really cool is that it was like a video question so they show a spindle chilling a can that they're demonstrating in ice and they're like they're talking uh, about the science of it or something exactly like, and so the cooling that's uh, they're like the okay. spinning method here used by this device to chill this drink down uh, and it, the answer is what is convection like Got that it. That was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool. Dude. It was, so that was that was pretty neat. Uh, it was uh, in well, I mean, when Seth Meyers first took up ahead, the yeah uh, yeah one more that was pretty crazy or two more I guess uh, when Seth Meyers first split from SNL and went on to the late night show took over the late night show uh, you know what I'm talking about right yeah, yeah. okay yeah uh, he did it in his monologue 
And so he's like joking and the, the joke was something to the effect of uh, these two guys from the University of Florida engineers developed this thing that can uh, spin a bottle in ice and chill it down quick. He goes, I don't know about you, but the only thing I was spinning a bottle for was back in seventh grade. And he's like, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and so that was another random one where people were like, dude, like Seth Meyers just like dropped spin chill That's on his cool. monologue. Um, yeah, that was cool. Uh um, what other, uh, Katie, it was on the Katie Kirk show when Katie Kirk, uh, had a show and it was like, uh, if you've ever seen like the Oprah Winfrey show where she's like, and you get a this and a you get a this, like gives away stuff. So Katie Kirk was trying to do something similar and it was a, give a, give a gift a day in May or something like that. Got and Spinchel was the gift that she gave to her, all of her audience members. Cool. So it's pretty cool. So yeah. Well, it's funny cause Ronald's over here texting yeah. me and he said, ask him if he's aware his product is an un unbox therapy. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a channel that reviews products and yeah. it has three and a half million views. Is that what it's up to now? Nice, yeah. So that hit a million views in less than 24 hours. That one was crazy and then there was a, there's a TechCrunch uh, review video on it too that hit a million views almost as fast. So, so what does that mean for Spin Chill now? Because I know yeah. that you're like, and, and we're running out of time because we spend yeah, no a, lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time talking about goals and stuff earlier, but, mm -hmm. I, but I know that you're off working with Admiral, which is yep. another Gainesville startup. Yep. How old are they now? Uh, three years now. Yeah. Three years, so you're working with them. Yep. And, but like Spin Chill still exists, yeah, right? And yep. so you're still selling the products. Yep. I mean, so what is what is all this uh, publicity and exposure and everything meant yeah. for the company? What's it? How do you have it framed now? Is it kind of set yep. as a as just like a side hustle product? Like, yeah, what is it now? Yeah. So, uh, so all of that stuff was. I mean, first off, when it happened, like for sales, it was phenomenal. Like anytime you get big exposure like that, like it's going to drive more sales, right? Uh, and just awareness. Um, the awareness is like is, how many of them have you sold to date? Do you have any oh, idea? Oh, jeez, I estimate. I couldn't tell you. Uh, call it seventy five hundred thousand, okay. probably. Um, no, might be more, more. than that. I'm no, gonna, how many seventy-five thousand? Seventy-five thousand. I'd call it seventy-five thousand. Okay, we'll, we'll stick with that. It's it's probably somewhere around there. But um, the uh, so so that exposure is huge um, and drives just direct product sales. But just also product and brand awareness. Like there's been times now where I've traveled places and people are like, oh yeah, like I know about that. Um, and so uh, so so that's been good because it was able to get spindle to a point where it can be stabilized. So a lot of what's been going on now is just really refining, like going into more retail. So um, we we iterated a lot on retail packaging and stuff, and it was really just Ty and myself like doing this stuff. Like we were super scrappy about it because uh, we never went out and raised outside equity capital, uh, and so it was just like okay, we're growing. Started with this that Kickstarter, company. and then yep. you just kept. Yeah, and some some small like debt notes and stuff, but, but that was it. Uh, Meaning, going back to the West Investors, West Texas Investors, like, yeah, nothing came out of that. Well, no, it? great exposure. So we All we right, didn't exposure. really we weren't really looking for an investment, but we're like, well, we have to get on the show because like it's great exposure, the marketing value. So of if they would have offered you a deal, you would have. Uh, we we would have taken it for some of their connections, but we had made the deal. Uh, to the point where it was like not a super sweet deal for them, but it was something that we thought was fair. Uh, so we went in, it was, uh, uh, we gave ourselves a million dollar valuation at that point, which they also like totally undervalued. They were like, no, you guys are like, you've done way more than that. So um, that was kind of cool, like self-validation, but they also were like, you guys have gotten this to the point 
beyond where we could help you like like even our connections they're basically like, we you don't need us yeah that, like, that's essentially what it was so if you if you watch the episode that was like what it was okay uh and so um and and we respect that you know on, on both sides it was like look we, we went in we asked for i think it was two hundred thousand for for 20 percent uh and and it was really for the exposure as well as uh you know yeah it would have helped to have like some growth capital and stuff like that but but ty and i knew when we started it like it wasn't gonna be a billion dollar company like this was something cool a awesome gadget idea that we did we were able to iterate on something really fast learn a ton just a boatload of different things from it uh both you know setting up manufacturing in china uh shipping to the u.s doing international import export we sold in 75 different countries yeah, that's what makes this so different into like, we could literally talk yeah. about so many different yeah. aspects from the crowdfunding <laughs> to many i mean like we could go we could literally have our own three <laughs> yeah about joe yeah. rogan having three hour podcasts yeah. so we could have our own for sure <laughs> yeah yeah but um and so but but okay so back to back to the point like we we knew when we were gonna, it wasn't the billion dollar idea, right? And, right? and Ty and I just have much bigger aspirations. And so we said, okay, well, let's get it to the point where like it's stabilized and doing its thing. And then that'll allow us both to extract ourselves from it and start focusing and working on other things that could be even bigger and taking what we learned there and applying that to new things, right? So uh, and I've kind of learned that as a theme in my life. I really like three to five year time horizons. I get bored really, really quickly. And so if I don't, feel like I'm being challenged or providing and, and learning more, uh, as well as helping something grow right back to our little riffing at the beginning. Uh, for me, like something that's super fulfilling in my life is building companies because it's just constantly problem solving. You're just you're fixing problems that nobody really has answers to and you're trying to figure it out as you go. Uh, and so that to me is super fulfilling. And so yeah. anytime that I oh. can get to a point to... <laughs> <laughs> we got power issues. Yeah. Apparently, we got things flickering. Uh, anytime that I can uh, get, uh, so so you know, we stabilize Spinchill, and that was the goal: is like stabilize it, get it to a point to where then Ty and I can go and and work on new things. So um, I don't know what that was your original question. Did you need the money? Right, that's what yeah. I think. Well, uh, oh, we got everything restarting. Now. <laughs> the power just flickered in here, and like now computers are restarting and everything. Um, no, but just yeah. kind of like where you're at, like oh, yeah, yeah. Where, so, you're, where you're at now. Oh like yeah, so with Spinchel. So so like? yeah, so so uh, so the guys at, at Apex that have been running it uh, have been doing a phenomenal job uh, reworking uh, some of the products a little bit, just tweaking it. You know, the gears uh, weren't as robust. Ty and I spent a lot of time work, once you get into manufacturing. I'm about you just Apex have tech here yeah. in Gainesville. Yep, they're running. Okay. Yep, uh, and so uh, so whenever you do a hardware product, man, there's just so many literally moving parts that like. Thing, a lot of things go wrong, like building stuff. And so there's just always little things that Ty and I were tweaking and would like work with the manufacturing facilities to like help them like build a better product for us. And so one of the things that we always struggled with was just like more robust gears. Cause uh, this one thing about consumer products is like, if someone can break it, they will break it. Like, yeah. they just, we, like us as consumers, like we are just like, really good at breaking stuff. And so uh, so that's also a great way to uh, product test if anybody out there has hardware products, like just give it to somebody and see what they do with it because they'll figure out a way to break it and you'll be like, wow, I didn't think about that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so 
gears weren't as robust, so a lot of it's been doing some retooling, just reworking it, you know, kind of working it slower because it's not our main source of income anymore. So it's it's afforded us now to t- kind of take a step back and and work through some of these challenges that before it was just run a million miles and make it work as it it happened. Uh, and then now it's more of refining the process and getting better retail packaging, figuring out the retail distribution on a larger scale, uh, and so. Those things just take a lot more time. Yeah. Um, so, it, but, but, that's it, but it's focus. still there. Still there. And yeah. meanwhile, you're working with another Gainesville startup. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Ty, what questions do you have? You know, we got <laughs> we got to wrap up in a minute. You and yeah. I have a place that we got to go. <laughs> yeah. We're about to uh, do something pretty fun. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, I think we oh, touched yeah, on a lot of Krispy Kreme uh, thing today, right? Yeah. Oh, well, well, it's, it's 2019. <laughs> it went for, really, for anybody, it for went anybody who's really listening, well. we're recording this on December 4th, and we're about to go do our Krispy Kreme <laughs> donut thing. Uh, no, I'd like to just revert oh, back to what Trevor said about uh, like reaching, yeah, that, so. reaching out to you, like being in this community. It's yeah. that's what we like the most about this. You yeah. know, these podcasts are such a good way to intertwine people that maybe see each other at events mm-hmm. or they're not comfortable. Um, and as always, everyone's so open to yeah. be reached out to. So, you know, I always encourage the people listening, Absolutely. you know, just, just say, Hey, and if you don't, you need an introduction from someone, find that person. It's, yep. it's so easy. That's what makes great it Gainesville feel, really awesome. I feel like yeah. the majority of people are very approachable. Though. Absolutely. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So oh, in Gainesville, hundred percent. And the... The networks and connections are, are crazy. absolutely crazy. That's yeah. actually been what's something yeah. that's been really cool about this podcast that we've had a lot of yeah. people who you know who do come on and say, "Hey, feel free to reach out to me about about crowdfunding," yeah. you know, and then and then people do, and then there's a new relationship that's built through this. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, that that in itself is very rewarding of of the potential. Yeah, I think that's uh, the biggest value as it gives other. I mean, we learn so much from people that maybe we already know a little bit. And it's like you're meeting them again for the first time because you you hear you know the war stories a little bit, yeah. Yep. And it's it's so cool just to get to know people a little bit better at, on this yeah. on the show. It's so well, much even fun. with like I, you know, I hear him talking about the construction industry, and I'm there thinking about Alex. Well, I'm like, oh, maybe Alex could you know, have those for guests for people in the construction. You know, yeah. just like the connection well, like of, Apex, of what we know about the guests that have been on the Apex, show. Apex, put your scooter sign up. I mean, yeah, it's all yeah. it's all so intertwined, which is, it is which yeah. is super cool, and I can't wait to see. There's a lot many. of local resources for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, um, this is my little plug of what I, I think Gainesville is like perfect and primed for. It's one of the best places, and and I speak from the startup world, so yeah. so things that like you know for us. A lot of people thought that for Swinchill, like our target market was like UF. It never was. It was never college kids. It was like 25 to 45 year old adults that had a little bit of expendable income uh, that were buying it as gifts a lot of times or for like a fun gadget for themselves. And so Gainesville was never our target audience or market. So like we didn't focus on selling here. We focused selling online to our target markets and audience because that's where it made sense and where we'd make the most money um, and scale the business. And, uh, And so... Uh, so, you know, there's two, there's a couple different things. Uh, Gainesville local businesses, you know, new scooters for less, phenomenal. Like, I think there's such a great, vibrant community for for local businesses, uh, for startup businesses. I think this is one of the best places to start a startup because you can take a lot of risk with or, or, or try a lot of things without taking a massive risk. It doesn't cost you a ton of money. You've got top eight university right here with some of the smartest people uh, in the world, like literally here 
willing to get their hands dirty into something. Uh, and you've got a, a great networking community that, that people are willing to help out. Uh, and so it's one of the great places to start a startup. Um, I think where Gainesville has growing to do is scaling startups. Uh, we, we don't have the necessarily the best track record with scaling and exiting startups. Uh, and I, th- I think, you know, we just have to self-realize as Gainesville, like that may not be our place. We're, we may not be the next Silicon Valley and, you know, we have to kind of be okay with that. But I think from what I've seen in my time and experiences, great place to start, phenomenal place to then spin out and look to get acquired by a bigger company. And that's a big win for Gainesville. If people can start getting acquired by larger companies, having exits, freeing up capital, that's just going to spur a whole next generation of Gainesville startups that are going to be um, you know, way ahead of what, what we currently have. I think it really depends on what your goals end up being, right? Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I think, you know, where, where I'm at now, you know, where I would have told you back in 2004, five and six, you know, yeah. those early days of new scooters for less, I would have said, oh, we're going to have scooter dealerships all over the country. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now like we're finding new ways to scale, new ways to, new ways to develop the business yeah. and stay right here where it doesn't That's require awesome. me to, to travel all over the place, yeah. yet I can raise my family here. I've got a beautiful wife, two kids, a home, yeah. and a lot of people don't realize that you can have that oh, absolutely. in a place yeah. like Gainesville, Florida. Again, and that's so, why I, like, I made the distinction. I think there's a distinction. You yeah. know, startup, I think, more of like something that that's like scalable outside the physical location. So like with Admiral now, like I spend time traveling to New York, Chicago, DC, because that's where our clients are, right? Our clients aren't in Gainesville, Florida. And so that's just, when I say startup, that's kind of like what I'm talking more about. Um, And then I use the term local business, Uh, but like the things you're doing are very startup mindset. Yeah. Uh, Everything you've always done with with New Scoots for Less, podcast, stuff like that, very mindset focused, but like you've done a great job of, of like localizing it. If that makes sense, yeah, and and I'm very much doing a lot of the same things, especially with yeah. the new the new media agency. Oh, I yeah. mean, we're you know we had we sent a videographer with a client to Portland. Oh, week, that's sick. A, a I week didn't know ago, that. you know, we have we have a client that we work with in Chicago. Yeah, like it's it's cool. That's great. It's cool, you know. And I like I said, I've said this before. Like I love I love New Scooters Less and love everything that we've done to impact the community here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool to take the everything that I've learned through New Scooters for less over 15 oh, years, sure. 15 years wow. in March. 15 years I didn't in March. I realize it was that long. Taking all that knowledge and being able to apply it to help a lot of these startups yeah. here in Gainesville, to help a lot of these young businesses take take their business to the next level, like that's super rewarding. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's super I, cool. I love it. I, so. I do have a question. So when I got yeah. out of my car, I heard a scooter going by, and it's a very distinct sound. A scooter noise is a very distinct sound, especially if you you live in Gainesville, you know what a scooter sounds like. Yeah. Do you ever have dreams like with that sound, like a? <laughs> oh, for sure. That's what he meditates. He meditates to just. And like, sounds. And you can't. And anytime I hear that sound, there's no way that I'm not turning my head. Just, <laughs> I was just, gonna just, say just, yeah. to see if it's one of mine. See if you it's know, got it's the like, sticker. Yeah, like I'm gonna turn my head NS and look Royal. to see if I see that Innisfil on the side of it. And it's just, it's instinct at this point. That's you know. Awesome. So, anything any Speaking of change, changing a community, like, dude, you changed the scooter culture of, of Gainesville. Like, you, well, you made the scooter culture of Gainesville. Dude, it's... it's and it's a, that's a thing. It's that's crazy. A, that is a thing. It's crazy to, like, look at yeah. the impact that this team has had on yeah. this community and on the University of Florida yeah. and how scooter culture is very much a real thing and then seeing how it's impacted because a lot of these other university towns, yeah. like, Gainesville's the example. 
Really? Yeah, like people, especially when it comes from a scooter culture, it's just like, yeah. man, like, have you heard of new scooters for less? Like, look yeah. at look at what they're doing. Look at the, you know, look at the pictures yeah. of UF and all the scooters. People are just fascinated by how many thousands of scooters are on that campus. And, Interesting. And yeah, it's 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 definitely neat. Definitely feels good, especially yeah. when we've had we've just gone through the holiday season and like really, yeah. you know, celebrating that as a team. You know, we had uh, had our holiday parties yeah. and like you know did did that kind of stuff, and it's just. It feels good to, to celebrate 15 years yeah. of, of that, yeah. <laughs> you know? So anyway, man, right. it's uh, been awesome having you. Yeah. Uh, for those Thank people um, who you did say, hey, like feel free to reach out yeah. to me, is it social media? You wanna give us your social media handles or um, however they can contact yeah, you? Don't tweet at me. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I'm not a Twitter user. Um, uh, yeah, social media is fine, uh, email is the best. Okay. Uh, so, so Trevor, dot w dot abbott a b b o t t at gmail dot com. Uh, personal email comes straight to me, and I'll I'll respond to it. So, cool. That's the best Perfect. way. Any last things? No, I'm just ready to get after this new year. Cool. Hey, happy new year, everybody! Thanks again so much for listening, sharing, and playing a very important part of this podcast. We appreciate all of you guys and wish you a very successful 2019. Let's get after it, baby. Let's go. (laughs) This is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. (laughs) Give me a whoa. Whoa. (laughs) We will see you later. Bye.